welcome to Pedagodzilla, the podcast that takes the monstrously impenetrable world of pedagogic theory, research, and observation, and makes sense of it through the far more enjoyable lens of geeky games, books, film, TV, and comics. Enjoy! Each episode will summarise a piece of popular pedagogy, pull it to bits, snap an analogy over the top, and then see if we can pull out any practical tips for your own teaching. This week we'll be reviewing Barack Rosenshine's 10 Principles of Instruction and asking ourselves, was Yoda an effective supply teacher? Hello, I'm Mike. I work for, I'm a learning designer, I work for the Open University. And I'm Mark, also a learning designer, also for the Open University. I don't know much about pedagogy and I'm doing this as an exercise to educate myself and Mark... I've been doing it for 20 years, so uh, what I don't know, I'm prepared to make up on the spur of the moment. I <laughs> uh, should also mention, again, that Mark is a doctor, so adds um, uh, authenticity to the entire exercise. To some extent. Yeah. Just out of interest, if there was um, an accident, mm-hmm. uh, like if you were on an aeroplane and somebody yeah. shouted, is there a doctor on board, would you put your hand up? Uh, no. Uh, I do know somebody that um, was... A- there was a, an issue where that did happen, and they knew that she was a doctor because you, you put that on your ticket. And they came yeah. to her and said, um, "I understand you're a doctor. Can you help out with this?" And she said, "Well, I'm a doctor of education." And, and then the thing over the tannoy said, "Do we have a real doctor on the plane?" Oh, <laughs> she's like really annoying. It's like I'm a real doctor. I have a real PhD to prove it. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm off. Okay. Or off already, topic already. Already. Yeah. Record time. Part one: the pedagogy. Barack Rosenshine, uh, Emeritus Professor at the College of Education at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. No idea. I have America. Anyway, it was the, his 10 principles were first published uh, in a journal called American Educator back in 2012. Uh, since then, it's uh, gained a little bit of traction, um, and he's actually published 17, uh, sort of updated the list of 17 principles, but to be fair, they're much less catchy. Ten is good. Ten's a good headline number. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I was just surprised by the success of them the first time around. Um, so the whole background to it is that he takes a sort of a, a three, three-direction three approach okay. to the principles. So he's got a research angle, which is based in cognitive science, um, although the actual article itself doesn't cite any cognitive science in it, as in like, you know, it doesn't link to any research okay. data. Uh, he's got a research on classroom practices of master teachers, which is a concept he sort of unpacks within there, um, and research on cognitive supports to help students uh, learn complex tasks and teaching strategies. Right, okay. And we got to this through um, an interview with the academic we call Grumpy Guy, but I cannot remember his actual name. We will refer to him later and then maybe get you his actual name. And he'll he referenced he'll this, be Grumpy Guy to me. Yeah, yeah, and he referenced this as something that was a really useful thing for educators to use and that's where we came across it yeah and it's it's of interest to us specifically because of our slight skepticism over the applications of some learning theory yeah yeah which is again what we share with this guy but then also um maybe uh there's some points at which we disagree and we'll cover those as we go through probably hopefully yeah okay okay so let's crack on with uh Barack's 10 principles so they're uh, they're nice and simple uh first principle is begin a lesson with a short review of previous learning. Fair enough. Second principle, present new material in small steps with student practice after each step. Okay. Third principle, ask a large number of questions and check responses of all students. Okay, all students. Okay, yeah. depends how many you've got, but okay, random sample would be good. Yeah, well, I'll unpack this one in a bit. Uh, number four, provide models. Yeah. Love a good model. Uh, number five, guide student practice. Number six, check for student understanding. 
Number seven, obtain a high success rate. Okay. Uh, number eight is provide scaffolds for difficult tasks. Yeah, yep. okay. Number nine, uh, require and monitor independent practice. Yeah, sure. And number ten, engage students in weekly and monthly review. Okay, well, I don't have... All of those are quite good. As Well, they're very good. They all mm. work. Um, okay, well, where they're coming from, the guy, all this is cognitive science, so it's basically it's based on the way that the brain actually works and the way the brain remembers things, uh, apart from the one that we talked about, the operant conditioning stuff. So all the others are review and that sort of stuff, the independent learning that that's properly scaffolded, which isn't really that about memory, but it's more about making sure that students are aware of how everything is laid out properly within the domain before they before they go off and do it. And all of that is absolutely works. It's, um, you know, it's uh, it's based in what the grumpy guy likes is it's based in actual science of the way yeah. that the brain works. And his antagonism to other ways of teaching is that they're not based in the same way on the brain, the way the brain works. They're just more philosophies than, than the way that um, than anything that you can see in the structure of uh, neurology. Mm. There is one thing that they all do have in common, though which, um, if used exhaustively, would kind of lead to the detriment of learners. And that is they're all as boring as f And I think that's part of the problem with this, is that actually if you take the same approach to learning all the way through and why I have an issue with Grumpy Guy's position on all these other philosophies is that if you're only providing one way of for students to learn, it gets very repetitive and that gets very dull. There's nothing in there about going off and doing things, making things, creating things, talking to other students. Mm. Now, Grumpy Guy doesn't like it because we're really going to have to find out what his name is, because those aren't evidenced by the way the brain's structured. But if you actually teach students and look at the way they learn and the way that they stay motivated, then just doing stuff that is that kind of drill and testing and rote learning kind of thing gets in the way of learning eventually yeah. because they get bored with it. And that is the thing, that's a big theme to this. I mean, we'll unpack this a bit more as we get into each of the 10 principles. We'll just kind of pull them apart a little bit further. But there's like a key tenet to this is rehearsal. And it's about, uh, basically, it's it's all about the just grinding stuff from working memory into long-term learned memory through iteration and rebuilding connections, which is all very well and good. And you can totally see the value in it. But simultaneously, you wouldn't want to be necessarily in this classroom. Not if that's all they were doing. Hmm. Yeah, you need to have a basic core set of skills. You need to have a basic, probably, core set of facts at your disposal in order to learn all the other stuff. But if that's all you're doing, it's it's not really what learning is. It's you know, it's, some people talk about a jug mug pedagogy, which is basically I have all the information. This is in my jug of learning. I'm now going to pour it into your brain, and that is a small part of what learning is, and hmm. it's not the most interesting part. So I think that sort of principle, that very behaviourist approach to what learning is, is essential for the core stuff. It's essential to lay out the ground of what students need to learn to get all the basic principles. But you need to move beyond that pretty quickly, otherwise people are just going to lose. Mm. Focusing purely on being able to regurgitate material is totally inappropriate for the 21st mm. century. But then saying that, that's so the criteria, one of, his, one of his approaches is about the approaches of master teachers and in a classroom, a lot of, I mean, it's based in the States, but they have a similar setup with their, sort of, I believe it's with their SATs and all sorts, where um, it's regurgitation, regurgitation, regurgitation focused. It's mm -hmm. the ability to memorize facts, formulas, 
totally pointless, a completely useless skill. It's like napping, flint napping. It's gone the way of that, or you know, being able to catch your own fish or whatever. It's it's it belongs to a bygone era to to a large extent, with you know the one or two caveats about it's useful for some disciplines and in some positions. If you can string off a few line of quotes from something, or when you're ref- talking about a particular theory, you can reference somebody's name, and people go, oh, you know, Leven Wenger and all that sort of thing, calling back to another podcast. But you know, we can't remember Grumpy Guy's name, and I'll look him up later, and we'll go, okay, that's that was his name, what his name is. So. It's useful to as kind of to give you some authenticity, but it's not really essential to do a job to be able to memorize stuff to a large extent. I I, I wish I could remember more stuff. I'm I'm afraid I'm totally against that. Like my okay. my life would be substantially better if my mind wasn't a monstrous colander full of beer. Yeah, or you know, useless stuff like uh, Doctor Who trivia. You know, name the name the thirteen people who played the Doctor. Couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Oh, okay. oh I absolutely couldn't do it. That's you could ask in my head. The saddest thing is that even something I've not engaged with in ten years, you could ask me the stat line of any troop in Warhammer Forty Thousand. Yeah. Circa fifth ed, and I could I could give it to you, which is so sad. That's reiteration. It's because you had to learn it over and over again, and it happened over and over again. And, that's and we're back on topic because that's why I did that. <laughs> very nicely done. What we're going to do now is pop through uh, Brack Rosenshine's ten principles and just unpack them a little bit, and just see if we agree with them entirely. Okay, so back to principle one. Begin a lesson with a short review of previous learning. So it says that daily review can strengthen previous learning and improve recall, and it's essential uh, if today's learning builds on yesterday's knowledge. Uh, Okay, that's interesting. Building on yesterday's stuff, building on... um, No, today's stuff, building on yesterday's knowledge is an interesting thing. We're going to look a bit more at building on previous knowledge because that's an essential element of what people call constructivist learning, which is that... Everybody has a mental model, and what the idea is that you gradually give them the opportunity to build hmm. on that model so that bit by bit they're developing their own learning. I'm not sure how much that ties in with that whole principle of finding your own way and creating your own models and how much of this is didactically saying, this is what happened before, now we're doing the next step. I think it's didactic, mostly, okay. but I think it's this particular bit's coming from the uh, neuro- cognitive science, neurological basis of uh, memory reinforces by building connections with other memory. Yeah, it's um, all those linkages. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm miming linkages. Yeah. Um, there'll, there'll be a, a detailed graph of linkages <laughs> in the show notes. In case you don't know what linkages look like. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the more things you can tie it to. And that's why, you know, all your Warcraft stuff you could remember easily because it's not just a stat that you're learning on its own. It's because it links to other things. You're making those connections. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that makes sense. So, okay, so, yeah, behavioural. It's still behavioural. It's not build, allowing people to build up their own models. It's bit by bit creating a new, uh, passing on a model that already exists. Yeah. So yeah, I think okay. I mean, yeah, we see where he's coming from, but it may yeah. not probably not the one for us, or I not entirely the one for us. I not see. entirely. This is this is the thing that we'll keep on coming back to with all these podcasts is anything on its own is not going to work. It's a mix that really matters. Mm. Um, we don't want to just stick to any one particular model because that's not an effective way to get anything done. I think it does, however, show the classroom roots in it. Yeah, if you get to talk to the kids every day, you don't. Kids, I'm assuming these he's talking about um, children at school, but you know, often you get them once a week or whatever you, because of the timetabling, and so you can spend a, you should spend a lot of time revisiting what's already gone before. Because if you're going into a classroom and then you're saying, "Okay, this is today's stuff," without reviewing what you've already learned. Then they don't have anything to build on. They've completely forgotten what happened last week because when you're 12, a week ago is ages ago because all this stuff's happened in between. 
So, yeah, I mean, this is how you get people lost in the process is because you're assuming a knowledge base which has just gone in the previous seven days. Yeah. Okay, so a second principle, uh, present new material in small steps with student practice after each step. So within that, it's uh, only present only present small amounts of new material at any time and then assist students in practicing the material. Don't overwhelm students, take small steps uh, and ask more questions and add in activities as part of that. Again, yeah, incrementally, um, there's a thing that we'll look at again at some other time, which is the zone of proximal development, which is that you only can learn so much from where you are at the moment. And this is why when you were talking about World of Warcraft and about how that guides you through the process of learning how to World of Warcraft, each little step is only a little bit more than the step before. So Mm. you're incrementally led led through all of the things you need to Mm. be able to do. Which is really carefully designed to enable the, the player to do that sort of thing. And a good, a good teacher will do the same thing. It was a small step at a time. This is why one of the problems with um, distance learning still is that you will give people a whole bunch of text and go, go away and read this and now come back. Yeah. And that is not as effective as actually here's a small bit. Get your head around this. Let's see whether what you understand from this. Have you got it all together? Now let's move on to the next. Yeah, bit. I think it's a very effective principle. I think mm-hmm. there's no yeah, no, no not, on yeah, I have no qualms with any of these. Hmm. It's yeah, okay, okay. So uh, number three, ask a large number of questions and check responses of all students. So within that, he says questioning uh, helps students practice new information and connects new material to prior learning. Yeah, um, and. Determine how well the material has been learned. Find ways to have all students answering the questions. Um, and within that, he's got some nice ideas for um, kind of group responses, some of which are a bit Dickensian and others are neat. Yeah, and um, I, if you've got a larger, you larger classroom, like, I mean, you can actually use these, well, it used to be clickers in the old day, um, in the old days, uh, like 10 years ago. And now everybody has their phones, but you can use responseware and stuff like that. So everybody there is just pressing buttons and kind of you can have them on the screen and you can see what percentage of your class actually get the answer right mm. and test them several times during a session. Um, but, you know, this whole thing about questioning individual students kind of takes us back to the idea that the maximum tutor or teacher-student ratio is about 20, maybe 30 to 1. Yes, 30 to 1, I believe, is the yeah. one that he cites. And you go beyond that, even in a distance learning environment, and everything falls apart. Yeah. That's why MOOCs don't work, is because you don't that's, have... That's one reason. That's one reason. It's the most evidenced one, which is that you know, you've got lots of people learning together, but without one person for every 30 trying to guide people through it, you're not really going to have... Mm. Some people are going to learn like that, but then people have been learning from books for a couple of thousand years. I mean, something else that Barack um, talks about as part of it as well is that the reason for checking everybody's learning and understanding while going through this is so that, if needs be, you can restart, which is a fantastic principle for the student behind. But I can imagine a natural real-world situation incredibly hard to actually implement. Yeah, because you have these mixed, you know, wide range of mixed abilities, mm. and you're gonna. I mean, I don't know what the answer. Is. There's no nobody's come up with a solution for doing this. I mean, one of the one of the neat things is to get the students the most capable academically to help support the students mm. least academically. Well, this is one of the things he talks about. So, the one of the group activities he suggests. Well, in fact, he suggests a couple. The worst one he suggests is choral responses. <laughs> which I, I, it's just such a laughably poor. I don't know if you've yeah. see, um, heard the article recently on Radio Four about um, 
the core response schooling system, I think it's in like sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Yeah, and how basically children are just learning to shout along with teacher and not actually learning anything. Although, you know, uh, times tables, five, eights, 56, I mean, you know, yeah, it's that, dense that, in there. That's, that's, that's like, how I learned mine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's um, how I learned mine. Yeah, I probably wouldn't learn anything other than times tables like that. No, no. But uh, but anyway, so, so that's that's kind of one of the ways he says to kind of make sure you've got everybody participating in these uh, questioning and answering activities. The other way is a really neat one, is having it so that um, each student writes down their thought of the answer and passes it along one. Okay. Turning it into this really neat kind of circular group activity. Yeah. Uh, making it kind of sort of semi-community and then letting students kind of talk to each other about their responses. Um, and also giving people a kind of safe space in which to self-assess without yeah. necessarily calling out to an entire class. Yeah, because that's hugely intimidating. And I yeah. think that's one of the things we'll look at when we, we look at um, um, the example that we're looking at as far as teaching goes later on, which is that um, creating a safe space is essential. You don't want people to fail in public in a big way because that's the worst thing you can do to anyone. Um Unless you give them a safe space to fail in front of everyone. And, mm. you know, sometimes that can be a way of doing it. But, yeah, assessing each other and sharing things is good. I mean, and it's, yeah, no no problems with any of these so far. Yeah. Although, I mean, the practicality one, I think, is... Well, also, yeah, um, you've got 30, you're asking each individual student. I mean, by the time you get to the 30th, the first ones are going to be banging their head, heads mm. against the desk in frustration because they are so bored, and these are very boring activities and on the whole. By gum, we're all about practical pedagogy. Yeah, absolutely, and keeping students from um, falling asleep because you're, they're so bored out of their minds is, is, the most, is, is key to any learning activity, really. Okay, so fourth principle, provide models. Provide students with models and worked examples to help them learn to solve problems faster scaffolding, show a person what the next step up looks like and how to move from where they are to where they need to be. Uh, use frameworks to hang ideas off and conceptualise them uh, and prompt, model, guide and practice. Uh, take a person from instruction to independent. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the problems that we have with learning any new area is that you can't start with a detail. You have to give people a kind of overall map of what mm. the whole thing looks like and really make that clear for people and then they can start building in the detail. So uh, one of the other things about some distance learning models is that you give people just like Wikipedia, you can jump around and like mm. learn this and then learn that and then learn that. That doesn't work the first time you're going through something because you need to be, everything needs to be structured and linear because you don't know where you're going and somebody else yeah. has to show you what the route through that is. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of like surface and deep processes. Mm. So it's everybody when they first learn, start learning something is a surface processor. And then once of all they've got that basic layout in their heads, then they can jump around and start filling in all the details. Mm. But without that, without a good taxonomy, then you can bit lost really. Yeah, it's basically the mental toolbox. It's giving the student the mental toolbox in order to be able to do what they need to do in order to approach the learning. Yeah, with the right tools in the right compartments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, number five, uh, guide student practice. So successful teachers spend more time guiding student practice of new material. Students need to internalise it by rephrasing, summarising and elaborating on material to rehearse and connect. Uh, and, oh yeah, I've written here, uh, it links back to the second principle, which was whee, presenting new materials in small steps. Yeah, I mean, practice though, it's all material. What about actually doing stuff, actually something that's practically based, something that's about creation, something that's about designing things? Yeah, maybe model this is what the material is, and maybe this is how you do this. Obviously, you do that if you're teaching maths. You show an example on the board, and then you give it to the students to do their own example. Hmm. But um, 
but that only kind of works as, as long as they are sitting fr in front of you listening to what you're doing. But then where you provide them with the skills to actually go out and be learners for themselves once they finish that course. Yeah, it's, it's application. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's practice and it's like here is how you use this information we've given you and here's you practicing the application of that knowledge. But there's nothing beyond that, which is how do you then become, how do you learn how to learn? And this is, I think, the big gap between the whole didactic behaviorist 20th century, not 20th century, that's wrong, uh, 19th century, 18th century model of learning, which is serried ranks all sitting there with a the teacher at the blackboard fronted with a bit of chalk. And then all the things that we've tried to be doing since the 1930s, really, which is to give students the chance to try things out, to become learners, to become people who teach themselves to some extent, and give them those sorts of tools rather than the very specific tools of a specific domain, like being able to do quadratic equations. Okay, so difference between, time to stretch an analogy, Okay, Mrs. Krabappel's classroom yeah. and Dead Poet Society. Okay, yeah, and you know, this is why... Mrs. Krabappel is a cartoon character that everybody laughs at, and Dead Poet Society is Robin Williams that everybody idolises. It was Robin Williams, wasn't it? It was Robin Williams, yeah. It was yeah. Robin Williams. Not the one from Take That, the, no. uh, the other one. R Robin, not Robbie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it? Is it Robbie? Oh, I've been calling him Robin Williams for years. <laughs> no, it's Robbie Williams. Oh, oh my God, yeah. No, no, Robbie Williams and Robin Williams. Ah, oh, okay, that explains well, a lot. See, I'm modelling good behaviour here. Okay, so um, we've touched on this one a little bit already, but uh, his principle number six is checking for student understanding. Yeah. So check the understanding at each point. Uh, basically helps them learn with fewer errors which seems fine, not reinforcing yeah, errors no. um, through all this practice. Seems well, and the longer legitimate. an error, sorry, talking across you there, but the longer an error goes on, then the bigger of a problem it becomes, really. I mean, a lot of what you're doing, particularly in the early years teaching, is jumping ahead a bit, but you must unlearn what you have learned. And it's it's the, the people build up, particularly around science, they build up really uh, mental models that aren't actually accurate. Hmm. And you have to kind of remove those mental models before you can actually start teaching some of the more effect, some of the ones that actually represent reality rather than what people think is happening. Yeah. Oh, here we go. This and yeah, so within that as well is uh, check that students can apply it or connect it with their own understanding. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, that's kind of building a bit more towards what we would talk about constructivism and that, which is people, students, learners, constructing their own, ment own mental models. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they all overlap so much, really. Yeah. Um, so, seventh principle, and this is a cracker, obtain a high success rate. Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned that earlier, which is that uh, it's basic operant conditioning is that you will feel good about yourself because you've scored 80%. You will then try harder to, you'll carry on trying, you'll be far more engaged and you'll be more um, motivated to do a bit more simply because you're actually succeeding. And it's like any like a game. If you're winning at the game, you'll want to play more. Yeah. And then if you died 10 times in a row, you're going to give up. Yeah, and the, the success rate he cites in this is 80%. That's yeah. The sweet spot. So having basically still the challenge and the room for development, mm. but enough success in there that you're not discouraged. That was kind of the sweet spot for it. But then, of course, you on that with a classroom with a wide range of abilities, you're going to still have somebody that are getting in their 50s and some that are getting in their 90s. Mm. But, you know, as long as it's 80 overall... There is a problem with that, though, from a practical point of view, which is this is what I used to do when I used to teach. And all my students would be getting on the whole 80, you know, somewhere between 80, 80 would be the median. And then they were all going, right, that's it. I'm going to put in for my, this is O levels. Uh, I'm going to put in for my O levels in physics then. And I go, okay, fair enough. And then their mocks results would come in. They'd be getting 35 because that's the point at which rather than me setting the standard, there's an external standard they mm. have to meet. And I don't know what the best advantage, you know, that is a core principle of 
80% really motivates students to carry on learning, but it could lull them into a full sense of security that actually they're doing better than they really are. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. Yeah, we are. I don't know. Luckily, I quit teaching, so I didn't ever have to come up with an answer for doing that. Number eight, uh, provide scaffolds for difficult tasks. Yeah. Teacher provides students with uh, temporary support scaffolds to assist them when they're learning difficult tasks. So he has this really nice uh, prompt for how to scaffold things. So it's um, for, there's a really nice example where he uh, shows students how to organise material, uh, which was to draw a central box and then write the title of whatever article it is you're, you're going through in it. Then you skim the article and then you find the four to six main ideas. Okay. Uh, then you write each main idea uh, in a box below the central box, a lot right. of boxes. Uh, and then you find and write two to four important details under each of them. Um, which just seems like a, a nice framework, a nice approach if, you've, if you're new to that sort of kind of research and summary. Well, I'll, I'll give you the tip I use to get me through writing a PhD thesis, which is just skim through looking for the bullet points. Because the bullet points are where somebody's organised all their thoughts into an overall taxonomy kind of list of things. That's where the structure is. You don't need anything else. Just look for the bullet-pointed lists and there you go. You heard it here first. Seventh principle, look for the bullet points. <laughs> Sorry, eighth principle. Uh, so, ninth principle, uh, require and monitor independent practice. Uh, so, you reckon students need uh, extensive successful practice in order for skills and knowledge to become automatic. I guess that kind of harks back to that success rate. Mm. Question mark there. Well, I suppose you're supporting it, so maybe... Yeah, it's the scaffolding it, so it's independent but not independent. Uh, he also finds this as the opportunity for cooperative learning between students. But... Okay, well, he's not purely then just... Um... Standing at the front talking to people, it's also about cooperation, which is mm. good, yeah. um, which we will cover more in situated yeah. learning. Oh, my God, yes. Like cooperation, communication, collaboration. Yeah, that's... all those things are really key. And, you know, they're in there. It's just that maybe they should just be a bigger part of what the mm. students are doing. And finally, engage students in weekly and monthly review. Yeah. That, I mean, the thing is, for rote learning, that feels, as a person who used to uh, have to learn a lot of lines, uh, did a lot of drama. Oh, okay. Yeah, did a lot of musicals. It's nice. going to come as no surprise. Um, as a person who had Shakespeare, uh, had to learn a lot of lines. Yeah, rehearsal, completely key to actually getting mm. things to lock in. So that makes a lot of sense. And this is where he ties it all in with the uh, sort of the cognitive model of interconnecting memories uh, and associations in order to reinforce learning. Yeah. And it's all about, for him, that shift between working and learned memory. And that's the bit where you're kind of dialing it all in. Yeah, okay, yeah, because um, actually after a while, remembering stuff can become autonomous, really. You go, mm. you know, this, this, and this, and you go, yeah, well, that's that. And it's not, you're not in a process of dragging it out of a like, long-term memory or mm. a, the recessed, recessed memory. It's, it's there, it's spontaneous all yeah. the time. And the reason this is the 10th principle as well, like the final one, is because this is the stage where it's moved, everything that the student's learning has moved from the working memory to the learned memory. Essentially, it says freeing up that front bit of the brain. Right, for more stuff. Yeah, freeing up for more stuff, freeing yeah. up for more learning in order to learn the next bit to connect in. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it all works. Yeah, yeah, as I'm not far sure as it, it goes. I'm not sure it's so much 10th principle as C1 to 9. Um, but that's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, so, but, so all, uh, I know there's 10 principles. Mm. Um, however, I would say that broadly agree with most of the 10 principles. Um, I'm not sure there need to be 10, even though 10's a good headline number because it basically boils down to review, question, model and rehearse. 
I think the fact that we're kind of um, grouping some of the uh, the principles we go through and sort of calling back to previous ones shows they broadly fall under those categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it's bright rose and shines four principles uh, in ten flavors. Yeah, sure, fair enough. Yeah. Part two: a nerdy analogy. Now we've okay. broken down the ten principles for you. Is we're going to try and frame them against the ultimate supply teacher. Oh, Yoda. Yoda. Yeah. We should probably, uh, we should probably talk to you about why Yoda's a supply teacher. Well, I mentioned this before we started, yeah, which is because, obviously, Luke's first... Uh, uh, this is not spoilers here for somebody who's not seen Empire Strikes Back or uh, A New Hope or I, any I, of those. I think 30 years. It's, 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 if you're not going to watch it, you're never going to... If you haven't seen it by now, you're never going to watch it, are you? Um, is that, of course, uh, Luke's first teacher is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed by Luke's father in the... Uh, a new hope. That's which, a double spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You, you yeah. just said Darth Vader, and nobody would have had the. To have that no, no, no. But I think it is. Ki- it is interesting that it's his father that kills his teacher because, uh, as I was saying earlier, that's the worst PTA meeting ever. <laughs> and also, there is an interesting hostility between. T- I don't know. Is there something there about the fact that he he's an absent father, so he resents the paternal role that a teacher takes over when you have an apprentice and a mentor? There could be something to do with that as well. Um, I don't know. Anyway, but the uh, but there we go. So Luke's an apprentice who has a mentor who's killed, and then he has to go and find another one, who then also dies yeah. in the third in the third or eighth ninth movie. But keeps on teaching crucially. Yes, yeah. Death does not get in the way. There is no death. There is only the force. Indeed. Um, so yeah. So Yoda rocks in as the ultimate supply teacher. Yeah. Uh, and as opposed to just getting out the telly on wheels and the VHS player and putting on a film for everybody to watch, he's he steps up. He does, but I would say that he doesn't apply many of those principles that we've already looked at. So he, let's look at them. Does Yoda begin each lesson with a short review of previous learning? No. He basically, he leaves Luke to find his own way with a bit of extra guidance here and there. Okay, carry on going through. Okay. Uh, does he present new material in small steps with student practice after no, each no, step? No, no, no. I mean, he gives quite long monologues at one point, doesn't he, for, you know... For my ally is the force. And, mm. you know, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and also cool. lifting an X-wing out of a swamp. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to. Yeah. Well, well, let's. We'll get further on with yeah. until we get to that one because. Oh, is that? Uh, is that? Yeah, that's, that's coming. I'm going to follow that in more depth. Yeah. Okay. So ask a large number of questions and check responses of all students. I think he does do that. He asks some questions, but um, but also he doesn't allow Luke to ask questions when. So he doesn't allow Luke the opportunity to create his own guidance, which probably does tie in with that because mm. it's about because that's about a model that's in Yoda's head, which then has to sort of be conveyed to to Luke's. I mean that both the Jedi and the Sith Sith tend to use that I think what we'd call a cognitive apprenticeship model for learning, which is basically the master model's particular behaviour which then the, the the student has the Padawan has to adopt. We um, we really need to take this one into a separate one. <laughs> but but, you know, but when Luke says, uh, uh, you know, like, well, but why do I need to do this? Why does that happen? He goes, no, 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 uh, no more questions. Clear your mind and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. it's he's, he tends to sort of, you know, he doesn't allow Luke to develop in his own way. He sort of very kind of guides him down a very particular mm. route to some extent. 
Interestingly, he's our second grumpy man now I think about it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, he, all of his mates have been murdered by the clone troopers. So I suppose, I mean, reason. all the good Jedi teachers who, you know, used the, the Ten Principles and probably, you know, had a bit of space for them. They're, they're, all they're dead. probably dead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think they are using the Ten Principles. I think they're moving more towards the other stuff we were talking about, which is more experiential learning, and but without the proper scaffolding. So they're required to be independent learners, but without any real framework mm. to find their own way. I mean, remember the bit where Luke's going into the uh, – this is back on Dagobah in the swamp, and he, he gets his feeling that there's a there's something in this tree, and he goes into the tree, and mm. then he's fighting this thing. And there's, he's learning from this, but there's no guidance from Yoda. He's having to find his own way, and there's yeah. no framework there. And in the radio version, um, you know, Yoda says, what have you learned from this? And Luke's thinking about it, and he says, oh, well, my – Enemy's face is my own. He knocks the mask off and that's yeah. Luke. And it's like, well, okay, he's come to that himself. I don't know quite what that means. Hmm. But Yoda's not led him there. Also, radio version? There's a NP, NPR, National Public Radio, did the Star Wars um, oh Empire God. Strikes Back uh, radio series. Uh, wow. Which are really good. I need to, I need to find that. Yeah, uh, there's some kind of clash with new canon stuff because of Rogue One. But, I mean, I just edited that bit out, so it's all still canon. <laughs> Fantastic. So, here we go. Okay. Here's something I think Yoda does do well. Provides yeah. models. He does. Well, does he? What models does he provide? I'd say, I mean, he, I'd say he gives the Force a pretty kind of ephemeral nonsense uh, yeah. thing. I think he tries to contextualise it for Luke. Actually, you know, I say that. He doesn't do a very good job of it at all, does he? No, but no. But then it's, it's not really something that you can pin down into... Um, no, into a few words, really. I mean, maybe that's part of the problem is that actually it is quite indefinable and people come take their own thing from the force, they bring their own thing to it. So, you know, your own model of what it is might not necessarily be somebody else's because it's all about a personal connection with it as well. But, I mean, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi does a lot better job of teaching, I think. Mm. He sort of says, here's his stance, do this. He takes him, he models this kind of practice a lot more effectively you know, if you think back on the Millennium Falcon from mm. um, Tatooine to Alderaan. And um, what's left of it? And more spoilers. And um, so that's a very effective kind of apprenticeship model where he's presenting this stuff and Luke's copying it. And then he takes him through these steps and then puts the helmet on so he can't see to take him to the next step. Mm. But all the way through... Does it in a controlled, safe environment exactly. as opposed to chucking him in the middle of a swamp full of monsters and asking him to pull a fighter out of it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think if we're looking at I mean, this is what can, uh, you know uh, Obi Wan Kenobi does more effectively than Yoda is he adopts some more of those principles, and and yet still has some of the more experiential stuff. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so guide student practice. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, I mean he's on his back, sort of telling him which way to run yeah. through the swamp and stuff like that. But again, he leaves. He leads. No, he leaves Luke to lead his own way through some mm. of those steps. And also, of course, ultimately, he says, no, don't go off. You have to stay here and continue and complete your training. And Luke just goes off to confront Darth Vader to mm. rescue his friends on Bespin. And um, so he's completely failed to lead him there. True. So, again, that shows perhaps the fact that he's disconnected from him as a teacher because he's not adopted some really sound and fast pedagogical principles there. Does he check for student understanding? Yeah, he does. I mean, he's pretty good at that all the way through, really. Um but I don't think he permit. as I said before, he doesn't permit Luke to check his own understanding. When he's confused, he's just allowed to continue to be confused. 
So, yeah, so, no, he's not really doing that great, really. No, I, I thought he'd do better. I thought Yoda would score much better than this. Yeah, no, he's, I, I, well, you know, when we were talking about it in advance, he's only sort of okay, but he's not brilliant. Does he obtain a high success rate? No, well, this is where the whole rock yeah. thing comes from, is he's, he does the whole thing with the rocks, and he goes, right then, now, move that, uh, move that X-wing. And, of course, he can't. And he becomes very discouraged. He becomes very discouraged, yeah, yeah, and he says something like... Um, um, you know, because then Yoda does the whole thing with moving the X-Wing and lifting it out of the swamp and dropping it onto the dry land. And Luke says, I don't believe it. And then what does Yoda say? That is why you fail. It's like he's just pushing him further into the ground. What it's a re- jerk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it was really what he should be doing is going, well, OK, um, now to try this rock, now try this bigger rock, now try this bigger rock. So zone of proximal development. Then... Um, Try this X-wing shaped rock. Well, no. Then, <laughs> then you present the mental model, which is actually size matters not, differences in the mind, and so therefore, you know, then you've got actually no. All of my concept about mass and weight and all those sorts of things are just my own impositions. There's actually a different mental model threshold concept that actually it's about objects, and my mind is able to move anything. I mean, at some point, it even moves. Death, uh, not battle stars, battle stations, and things. So yeah, and that would be the way to do it. Not like now try this massive leap in ability. Completely does destroys his confidence. Yeah. So no wonder he pisses off to Bespin because he's just um, fed up with his old teaching process. Yeah. I mean, he does come back for more later and completes his training, but you know. But to be fair, it's the only gig in town. Yeah, yeah, and you know he's on his own journey. But yeah, there we go. Cool. Pro- does Yoda provide scaffolds for difficult tasks? No. Well, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, just there. He just says, go off and do it, and just doesn't give him the chance to do it. I mean, you know, it's you have to understand that it's been 20 years since he's taught anyone, so maybe he's got a bit rusty with the whole thing. Anyway, so, where have we got to? We've got to... One principle left. Okay. Finally, does Yoda engage students in weekly and monthly review? No, no, I mean, that's it. It's like it's done once and that's it. Although, I mean, thinking about... I mean, maybe we're being unfair to him, because if you think back to... Attack of the Clones, I think, where he's still the Jedi Council still exists and the Jedi Academy is still there and all the younglings are there and he's oh, teaching he's, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there he's a much more effective teacher. He's actually taking them through these steps. He's guiding them. He's creating a safe space. He's um, um, and maybe maybe that's because they're younger or maybe it's because he's younger and and he's not got rusty with the whole you know he's not become a grumpy grumpy git at this point mm. because you know because he's got his safe space around him as well yeah so yeah so maybe we shouldn't be i mean we shouldn't be judging yoda's ability, teaching ability entirely by how he teaches luke because as evidence it was much better sort of 20 25 28 yeah. years earlier so i guess our ultimate conclusion according to barack rosenshine's 10 principles yoda's not a great teacher no in the case of luke yes which I think kind of maps, I think as we sort of discussed it, he's just not a great teacher in the case of Luke period, which it's, I suppose means the model sort of works. Luke comes out taught, but partly due to Luke. Yeah, well... And um, thanks to the good, excellent groundwork by Ben Kenobi. Yeah, I think that's it. And well, not entirely. I mean, he did lie to him. He did compose a false mental model, which is that, you know, Darth Vader killed his father, which is, you know... Is that not scaffolding? Isn't that something you needed to know in order to grasp the next concept? Well, I suppose so. It's It's about developing yes because otherwise he wouldn't have been prepared to learn the next concept and then there's another model further on mm. which then yeah so it's maybe it's scaffolding his learning and of course of course it is also true from a particular from a certain point of view i, I guess this shows though why 
Ben Kenobi is the salaried teacher and Yoda's the supply teacher. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi hadn't done that brilliantly as a teacher 20 years earlier because, of course, one of his... Um, one of his uh, Padawans was Anakin Skywalker, who went completely off the deep end. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So it's all. I mean, we learn as teachers, I suppose, is, and then we can unlearn as teachers. We can move into a good phase and then, and then out of that good phase into a bad one. And I guess that's what the movies show as much as anything. Yeah. Okay. So practical takeaways. Please see um, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, please, I guess see, so. please see all of the above. Um, nothing really to summarise there, because we've been summarising as we've been going, all the practical stuff. It's, in, it's an entirely practical set of recommendations. It's an entirely practical set of principles. Yeah, which as far as they go, work fine, but there is a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And if you miss the, all the other things, then, you are, um, then you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay teacher. Yoda, not great teacher not these days. No. Cool. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, um, and wherever you can find podcasts, really. When we finally pod- publish this, you'll have found it because you're listening to it. We hope you uh, enjoyed the episode, and we look forward to speaking to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Good luck.